Thank you for listening to Devoted. We meet every week on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. at Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim. With you guys, and I, uh, I'm excited to get in the Word with you all. I have been, uh, I think it's been over a month, so kind of don't feel like myself. Uh, so it's good to be back at it. Um, yeah, so uh, we're almost at the end. Um yeah, let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll just dive right in. Father, uh, I just pray that you would be with us right now. Uh, we confess that we need you, Lord. Your word is inspired by you, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, and um, we need the Holy Spirit to, to receive it. I need the Holy Spirit to proclaim it, Lord, and uh, just apart from you, we, we can't do anything of eternal value. Uh, and so, so would you be with us? Would you fill us, Lord? Would you speak to us? Would you instruct us? Would you teach us? And uh, would you conform us to the image of your son right now, Lord? And just help us to take your word and hide it in our hearts so we wouldn't sin against you and um, help us to take it and apply it to our life so we could be doers of it, Lord, and uh, help us to take it and to share it with those around us so that we could be the type of witnesses that you want us to be, Lord. I pray that you would just give us a greater and greater hunger and capacity for your word. That you would make us hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord. And uh, I pray that you would uh, keep me from coughing, help me to get through this without having a coughing fit, Lord. And uh, yeah, just speak to us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been going verse by verse. Uh, through uh, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. It's taken us a while, but that's okay. And we're finally getting to the end, right? In one sense, uh, this section that I've entitled Join the Resistance is kind of a summary of the epistle that we've studied so far. Almost everything mentioned in verses 10 through 20 is a theme that we see over and over again throughout the book of Ephesians. So on, on one level, Paul's kind of using this to draw a close and kind of put a, a conclusion to everything that he's been talking about, but it, it kind of serves another purpose as well. I've gone over the outline of this book a bunch of times with you guys, so if you've been with us, I, I hope you at least have that. But in chapters one through three, Paul is going into great detail going over the believer's wealth. He's just telling us about the sheer wealth that we have in Christ, all of the heavenly blessings, every spiritual blessing that there is in the heavenlies is ours in Christ. And, and he's just showing us how rich we really are in Christ. And, and it's a great uh, read to go through that, remind ourselves of that. And then in chapters three through six, he kind of changes the focus a little bit. In chapters 1 through 3, he's talking more about justification and, and, and everything that God did to save us and to place us in Christ. All of a sudden, in chapter 4, verse 1, the shift changes from justification to sanctification, right? Now he's saying, hey, it, it, it's on you. In light of all this that I've done for you, all the riches, all the blessings that I've given to you, I want you to live this way. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of, of the calling with which you have been called. And then he, he talks about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit 
when we're under the influences of, of the Holy Spirit, is just going to radically transform our lives. One of the examples he gives is we're going to go from being people that steal to people who work, not just so that we could provide for ourselves, but that we could be generous and we could just give to other people. And, and he wants us to do that because he wants us to reflect God, right? We're, we're to be imitators of God. And, and, and that's what God is transforming us to be. And he's going to transform us in, in every area of our life, all of our relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's the home, whether it's the workplace, all of a sudden they're going to be marked by a, a mutual submission to one another in the fear of the Lord instead of selfishness and self-centeredness. So the first three chapters are about the wealth that we have, everything that God's done for us to place us in Christ. And the next couple of chapters are about how we're to live, how we respond in light of that. And then in chapters 6, 10 through 13, we've come upon this reality. All of a sudden, we realize that this sounds so ideal, right? This sounds so awesome. God's just blessed me. He's given me riches. He's transforming my life. And then we come to this realization that we have an enemy, that there's this enemy who's powerful and he's organized, and he's doing everything he can to keep us from those blessings, he wants to destroy us. And, and Paul is calling us to stand against that enemy. He's calling us to resist him. We're, we're told that there's this armor that we need to wear in this war. And it's not just any armor. It's, it's Christ's armor. It's the very armor that Christ, the warrior, put on himself in the Old Testament. And we know that this armor is great because it's a tested armor. Remember, Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin because he was fully armored up. And so no matter what the temptation there is that's going to come our way, our armor is sufficient. It is enough to keep us from sinning. We just have to appropriate it or put it on. And that's what Paul is going to be teaching us to do. You know, verse 18, where we're at tonight, is kind of an interesting verse. Uh, let me read it for us, the, the passage that we're looking at. He says, uh, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit with this in view. Be on alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The reason I say verse 18 is so interesting is almost every version is different. Every major Bible version translates this differently. I think the ESV renders it best, though, because verse 18 doesn't really start with a new sentence in the Greek. No, it's a continuation of verse 17. Actually, in verse 18, when you look at it in the Greek, there's not really a main verb there. We, we, we don't have a verb. We have two present participles that are modifying the verb that was in the previous verse. It's either modifying the verb in verse 17, which is uh, to take, or in verse 11, to stand. In other words, the way that we're going to stand against the enemy or the way that we're going to take up the helmet of salvation or the sword of the Spirit is by doing verse 18. It's by praying. 
You see, praying isn't just another weapon in our arsenal. No, prayer is our arsenal. Prayer is how we put the armor on. It's how we appropriate it to ourselves. And prayer is also how we're going to engage the enemy once we are equipped. See, it really all comes down to prayer. One commentator said this, we might think of prayer as the army supply line that brings bullets and butter to the soldiers on the front line. With ammunition and food, the soldier has no strength or defense. Remember right after the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea, they were attacked by this group called the Amalekites. Right before the Passover was going to happen, God told the children of Israel, uh, the, the women, to go and talk to the Egyptian women and to ask for their best stuff. Hey, give us your jewelry. Give us your best clothes. Give us your, your family heirlooms and your goods and things like that. And to their surprise, the Jewish women just handed it over. They started giving this stuff to the children of Israel. And this was going to be really important because the goods that they're receiving are going to be the goods that they're going to use to build the tabernacle and the furnishings for the tabernacle once they get out into the wilderness. However, they had a problem, right? Because they get delivered by the sea and they start marching through the wilderness and the million and a half strong or whatever number they were, and they're just walking through the wilderness and they've got all these goods. And there's this group called the Amalekites out there. And the Amalekites are kind of like uh, these ancient pirates of the desert that would just look for people that they could come and plunder. And they're looking at the children of Israel and they're saying, hey, this is easy pickings. All that stuff is going to be ours. And so they come and, and, and they get ready and they're going to attack the children of Israel. And God gives Moses a plan. God says, hey, Joshua, take all the men that are fighting age. Get ready. You guys are going to fight. And while you're fighting, I'm going to go up on this hill with Moses and, or with Aaron and her and we're going to pray. And we're told that as the battle was being fought there in the valley, that Moses was up on the mountain. And whenever he had his hands lifted up with the rod of God, symbolizing that he's, he's praying, that the children of Israel would have victory. But when he got tired and his arms would come down, they would start suffering defeat. And so Aaron and her came and they propped his arms up and held his arms up for him so that the children of Israel would get victory. This story illustrates the principle that the real source of our strength and victory is prayer. The battle is fought in the valley, but it is won on the mountaintop in prayer. And just a simple observation of the text highlighted the importance of prayer. You see, Paul spends more time talking about prayer in this text in Ephesians 6 than he does about any other piece of armor. Right? All the other armor is just kind of matter of fact. One thing, one thing, one thing. But he really gets into it when it comes to prayer. And, and, and even more, to stress the importance of prayer, he uses three different Greek words for prayer in verse 18. So we see that prayer is the most important when it comes to spiritual warfare. But what is prayer? Prayer is simply talking to or entreating a deity. Christian prayer, in its most simple form, is communion with God. Now, we acknowledge that prayer is important. Most of us, if not all of us, acknowledge that we need to be better at prayer. I, I don't think any of us would honestly say, hey, I'm, I'm content with my prayer life. 
I, I, I want to grow in that. And Paul wants us to grow in it as well. That's why he's mentioning it, because it's essential for our warfare against the evil one. Uh, for letter A, fill in the word all. Our prayer life needs to be all-encompassing. Look at verse 18 with me again. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view. Be on alert with perseverance, petition for all the saints. Four times Paul uses the Greek word pos or all in this text. We're to have all prayer and petition at all times with all perseverance and for all the saints. Now, most Christians pray sometimes with some prayers, with some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. But to replace some by all in each of these expressions would be to introduce us to a new dimension of prayer. It, it totally transcends and uh, revitalizes what we consider prayer. Now let's break this verse down a little bit. For number one, we need to pray at all times. This speaks of frequency. So fill in times and frequency. We need to pray at all times. What does it mean to pray at all times? Does this mean that we're to pray 24-7, that all day, every day, that we're just to be constantly praying? Well, I think that would be impossible, right? I have to sleep. I'm obviously not praying while I'm sleeping, so that takes a few hours out of the day. There's some instances where I think it's actually sinful to be praying. If God tells you to do something and God is saying, hey, go do this, and you're like, hey, I'm going to pray about it, that would be sinful. Right now, God is telling me to teach the Bible. If I say, All right, I'm going to go pray about it, see, see how we feel about it. That would be a sin, right? I wouldn't be what God is telling me to do, right? So it's not that we have to be praying all day, every day, at every single moment of every single day. But then what does it mean? I, I think what Paul is saying here when he tells us to pray without ceasing is that we need to live with a constant consciousness of God. So we need to filter everything through God, every decision, Every action, we, we, we filter it through God. We, we, we think about how God would think about that. Or we ask God about it. We, we bring God into the process. When I'm hurting, I go to God for strength and for courage. When I'm reviled or offended, I go to God and I give it to him and I ask for strength to forgive. When I'm in need, I, I, I go to him. It protects me from covetousness and things like that. When I see an accident, I take that person to, to God in prayer right away. I start praying for them. When, when I see some hooligan breaking the law, instead of uh, becoming critical of that person, I, I start praying for them. I start asking God to help them, to change their heart. You see, that's praying at all times. At every opportunity, every time that you can pray, you're praying instead of getting in the flesh. Paul says that we're to pray at all times. Now, in Greek, there's two different words for time. There's the word chronos, which means chronological time. And there's the word kairos, that speaks of an opportunity, uh, 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 like the perfect opportunity. Uh, I, I think what will help us to illustrate this is, is Luke chapter 4. Remember, in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is baptized. He's filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness where 
he, he, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's being tempted of the devil. Remember, the devil comes, and, he, and, and he's tempting him over and over. We have three temptations recorded in our Bible. There's probably more than that. Those were just the highlights of the temptations. But, you know, the devil is tempting him. And every time Jesus answers that temptation with, it is written, it is written, it is written, and shares the word of God and, and, and overcomes that temptation. And that becomes a, a model for us. But then it says this in Luke 4.13, it says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time, until a kairos, right? So, so the devil is looking for opportune times in our life where he could come and, and attack us and he, he could get us in the flesh and he could get us to act in ways contrary to the way that God wants us to act, right? It's just we need to be aware of those times and we need to be praying for those times. That was an opportune time for the devil to attack Jesus. Jesus was alone in the wilderness. There was nobody else out there. Nobody else is going to know if he gives into temptation, right? Nobody else is going to know that, you know, he didn't, you know, exercise the word of God. And it is written. It is written. Nobody else is going to know whether he compromises or, or that. He's also tired and weak. That is a, an opportune time for the devil to come and attack us is when we're tired and weak. That's exactly when the Amalekites, who they came in and attacked of the children of Israel. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. So we need to know our vulnerabilities. We need to know which opportune times the enemy is looking for in our life, and we need to specifically be praying for those. Those are opportune times that, those are kairoses that we need to be praying constantly for, is the idea. We need to constantly be preparing ourselves so that when those times come, we're ready for the temptation. First Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. First Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. Again, you know, that's not you know, just constantly in prayer, right? That's, yeah, we need to have times that we pray, but we also, you know, just every opportunity that there is throughout the day to talk to God, to share with God. We need to do that. We understand that on a, on a, just a, a human level, right? When somebody maybe falls in love with somebody or maybe starts a new friendship and, and they really like that person, Right? They could just talk to him all day. He could be on the phone for four or five hours at a time, just talking about nothing, talking about everything. Like the littlest thing happens and you start texting, oh, this happened. And, right? We, we do that with each other. Well, God wants us to do that with him. <laughs> That's the idea of it. I've had people tell me that they just don't have enough time to pray. They say, I'm just too busy. I, I just can't pray like that. I say that if you're too busy to pray, you're just too busy and you need to pray about your schedule is the idea. I'd remind you of this, that if you have time to worry, you have time to pray. Right? If you have time to worry about something, well, use that time to pray for it. Martin Luther King, right, during the height of the Protestant Reformation, 
He, he was a busy guy. He had a lot of responsibilities, a, a lot of things going on. Well, he said this. He said that if I don't pray for three hours every morning, I can't do anything. And people are astonished. They're like, hey, you're so busy. You're doing all of this. How in the world could you make three hours every morning to pray? And he says, because I'm doing all of this, because I have all of this responsibility, I've got more to pray for. I need to pray for three hours because I've got that much going on. See, the busy our schedules get don't mean that we should pray less. No, it means we should be praying more. You know, the apostles in the early church, they modeled this praying constantly, praying at all times, praying without ceasing. Acts 1.14, it says, these were all with one mind, with one mind, uh, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, Mary, mother of Joseph, and his brothers. That's in Acts 1. In Acts 2.42, speaking of the early church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then in 6.4, the apostles say this, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Every opportunity they had to be praying, they were praying. See, we need to pray at all times because the enemy's out to get us at all times. He's a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. And if we're not praying, that's going to be us is the idea. So we need to constantly be praying up. It's kind of like that saying, right? How fast do you need to be to survive a bear attack? Well, you just need to be a step faster than the next guy. Right? In reality, well, well, that's true. You see, because the devil's going to come. His minions are going to come for you. And you just need to be praying. And you'll be okay. So we need to pray at all times. Number two, we need to pray in all ways. That's speaking of variety. So fill in ways and variety. Verse 18, Paul says, pray with all prayer and petition. So prayer is just talking to God. Petition, uh, it's, sometimes it's called supplication. Uh, it, that's asking, uh, that which is asked with urgency based on a pressing need. It's, it's more fervent prayer. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a heightened sense of prayer. You see, prayer is general. Petition is specific. Right, a petition. There's a specific need, and I'm, I'm I'm asking God to meet that specific need right now in a specific moment for a specific cause. You see, I I think most Christians' prayer lives is mostly petitions. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, most of the time we're talking to God, we're asking God for something. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus taught us, uh, you know, give us our daily bread. Right? We're, we're to pray for the things that we need for. We're to trust God. We're to realize that the things that we need, that we get, aren't just coming because we worked for them. No, God's providing them to us. So it's not wrong to pray for those things, but we need to go beyond that if we're going to have success in spiritual warfare. You see, thanksgiving goes such a long way in protecting my heart from covetousness and bitterness. Adoration. It's just great for building our faith and our trust in God. Intercession, it really helps me love my neighbors. I believe this with all my heart. It's impossible to biblically love somebody that you're not praying for. It really is. And so if we're only petitioning God for things that we need, we're missing out on a lot of the benefits of prayer. Because all these other avenues of prayer they're going to protect our heart 
from things that the enemy is, is trying to do to us. But I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, but I get bored or I don't know what to say. Can I remind you that God is called the wonderful counselor in Isaiah 9? Now think about this for a minute. Do people go to counseling or seek a counselor because they have everything down? Because they, because they know how to think about things and how to talk about things. and you know, No, that's not why people go to a counselor. I've found many folks come seeking counseling, don't even know how to describe what they're feeling or thinking. They don't even know how to think about their problems. But guess what? As they seek counselor and the counselor helps them, they begin to grow in that and they begin to be able to articulate what the problem is. And they begin to be able to think rightly about the problem and they begin to have victory over that area in the problem. And I guarantee you, if we go to God, our wonderful counselor, he'll help us in every way that we're struggling and we'll get better and better and better at praying. We'll get better at talking to him. We'll learn how to pray in the spirit and we'll start seeing these victories in our life. You know, even the disciples who were living with Jesus, walking around with Jesus, doing ministry with Jesus, they had to walk up to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Right? So, so, so I think we need to do the same thing. Yeah, I don't know how to pray as I should, but I could go to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach me how to pray. Help me to pray at all times. Help me to pray in all ways. Now let's look at the manner of prayer. Number three, we need to pray with all perseverance and alertness. So feeling perseverance, alertness, and manner. Paul says that we need to be on alert with all perseverance. Psalm 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. Psalm 88 verse 1, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and night before you. Right? So there's a persevering. Our Lord said this in Luke 18.1. Now that he was telling them a parable to show that all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So, so Jesus here has really given us two options. right? We, we could pray at all times or we could lose heart. Right? He's saying if we don't persevere in prayer, if it's not something that we could continue in, sooner or later we're going to lose heart. You know, most Christians pray for a little while, and when we don't get what we're asking for, we, we give up or we move on to praying for something else. But Jesus and Paul are warning us not to do this. They're encouraging us to keep seeking, keep praying, keep knocking. I believe there's times in our lives and in the people around us' lives where we're praying for something and we're asking God to do something. Maybe we're asking God to to save somebody, to change their heart. And God's like, you know what? I'm just going to withhold that grace from their life for a while. I, I'm just not going to give it to them. And we start getting bummed out. God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing the thing that we're asking for? We know what's according to your word. Because I think he waits because he's doing a greater work than answering our prayer. You see, by withholding that grace, he's drawing us closer to him. He's transforming us. He's, you know, uh, conforming us into the image of Christ. You see, we need to learn to see God's not yet as opportunities for sanctification. Can you imagine the implications we would have, this would have for our spiritual warfare? 
If every time we're praying and we're not getting what we want, we get excited about it. We're like, yes, God, thank you for not answering my prayer because you're using that to, to draw me closer to you. You're using that to conform me to the image of your son. You're using that so when you finally do do it, everybody will know that you did it because I was praying for so long and you're going to demonstrate your power through it. That's the way we need to look at prayer. It's been said that D.L. Moody had 100 people on his prayer list and he prayed for them every single day that they would get saved. In his life, he saw 98 of them come to Christ. Took his whole life, but 98 out of the 100 came to Christ. The 99th came to Christ the day that D.L. Moody died. And guess what? The 100th came to Christ at D.L. Moody's funeral. Right? Because of his persistence in praying for these people over and over and over again, all 100 of them came to know the Lord. And we're not just exhorted to pray with perseverance, but we're also to pray with alertness. Now, alertness in the Bible often has an eschatological ring to it. We need to pray with the reality that the Lord could return at any moment, is, is the idea. Right? That, that hey, we, we need to be right. There's an urgency to it. We, we need to see what's going on, and we need to be alert that's going on around us because it could be the Lord returning. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 21, 36. But keep on alert at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. You know, so don't we pray, thy kingdom come, asking the Lord to bring his kingdom to earth? Now, I'm not sure if I could think of a better way to overcome spiritual warfare and temptation than to constantly be praying and be alert for Christ's second coming. Other than the doctrine of grace, there's no other doctrine in the Bible that presented more, talked about more than the doctrine of Christ's second coming. And that's because God knows that that doctrine is going to have the greatest impact on our life, on our sanctification, on our desire to want to be close to him and to be like him. Because it's going to prepare us to be ready for him. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Number four, we need to pray for all the saints. So fill in saints, and that's the object of our prayer. And Paul says, in petition for all the saints. You see, our prayers, they need to extend beyond ourselves. Right? Jesus didn't teach us to say, my Father who art in heaven. No, we were to pray, our Father who art in heaven. When we, we've been studying Ephesians, and, and we see that this epistle, it's, it's primarily about the church and, 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 and how God is making us all one in Christ. We're being built up into this temple of the Lord. We're living stones being built into the, the house of God. And we need to especially be praying for those stones around us that are supporting us, that are lifting us in place, that are holding us in place to the chief cornerstone, right? We, we need each other. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member is exalted, we're, we're all exalted, the writer of Hebrews says. But how could we pray for every saint? 
that seems kind of unrealistic, right? <laughs> We're supposed to pray for every person that's, that's, a, that's a saint? First of all, we don't know everybody that's a saint. Right? So, so how can we pray for everybody that's a saint? Well, we could start praying for the people in your home, on your block, in your workplace, in your church. I'm sure if we added those people to our prayer list, we'd have more than enough people to pray for throughout the day. And there really is a, there really is a purpose in this in spiritual warfare, right? We, we put on the whole armor of God so that we could go to battle for our brothers and sisters in prayer. That's the whole purpose of putting on the armor, so that we could go and, 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 and fight for one another, so that we could go and, and liberate the captive, uh, so we could be like Abraham. Remember when Abraham found out that Lot had been taken captive? What did he do? He took his whole household, all of his servants, and, and they went out and they fought, and they brought him back. Uh, that's really a picture of what we're to be doing in prayer for one another. So when we start hearing, oh, brother so-and-so is, you know, he's backsliding a bit or he's getting into this or, you know, so-and-so might be having an affair. Rather than getting critical and going and trying spreading it around and things like that, oh, you hear what so-and-so is doing? No, start praying for that person. Go to battle for that person. Bring them back into the body of Christ because we're not going to be as healthy as we need to be without them. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Here's a crazy thought. What if the healing I'm looking for in my life depended upon me praying for someone else? That seems kind of weird, right? That I want healing. I believe God could heal me, but... The way that I'm going to get healed is by praying for you guys. Well, that's exactly what James says, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Not that they may be healed, so that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I mean, that was the case of Job, right? I mean, Job, was, he was really going through it. But he wasn't healed or restored until he actually prayed, until he interceded for his three friends. And by the way, those three friends had wronged him for a while, right? Job is, is hurting. He's sick. He's, he's in grief. And his friends, rather than praying for them, praying for Job that he'd get healed, they're accusing him and saying, oh, this has happened to you because you're a sinner. What kind of sinner are you? What have you been doing? Tell us. God wouldn't be doing this to you unless you were a horrible person. That wasn't the case. But God told this to Job. He said, hey, go pray for your friends. And it wasn't until he prayed for those three miserable comforters that he was restored. You know, maybe you can't do the ministry you want to do. Maybe you feel like you're not super gifted or you can't make that much of a difference for the kingdom of heaven. Can I tell you what the greatest ministry is? The greatest ministry is the then the ministry that's the most effective is the ministry of prayer in the church. Spend time interceding for the states, and you're depositing coins into your eternal bank account. If you really think about it, that's the truth. The more time that you spend praying for the saints and praying for the church and praying for the people that are doing the ministry, you're becoming a part of that ministry, and you're earning heavenly rewards for it. It's like just a straight, you know, depositing coins in your account. That's the greatest return on, of investment 
that there is, if you think about it. That's nice. You say that's nice about prayer being the best ministry. You're just trying to make me feel better about myself. right? You're, you're just trying to encourage me, give me something to do. I've had people tell me that. And I remind them of this, that interceding for the saints, praying for the saints, that's Jesus' ministry. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's the ministry that Jesus Christ himself is doing right now, is praying for the saints. We want to be like Jesus, pray for the saints. And by the way, that's not just the ministry that Jesus is doing, it's also the ministry that the Holy Spirit is doing. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray, as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So if we want to be imitators of God, which Paul has called us to be in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to take up the ministry of intercession for the saints. By the way, Paul says that we are to pray for the saints, not to the saints. Just one distinction there. right? There's only one mediator between us and God. It's the man, Christ Jesus. So we've seen the frequency of prayer. We're to pray all the time. The variety of prayer in all ways. The manner of prayer with perseverance and alertness. The object of prayer for all the saints. There's one more important overarching principle to prayer. It needs to be done in the spirit. So number five, we need to always pray in the spirit. So fill in spirit and power. Paul says we're to pray at all times in the spirit. Jude 20 says this, but you beloved building yourself upon the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a, a spiritual exercise because it's through the agency of the Holy Spirit that we have communion with God. So, so what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Does it mean that I pray in tongues? No, it doesn't mean that. Because Paul says that not everybody has the gift of tongues. Right? And not everybody is called to pray in tongues, yet all Christians are called to pray in the Spirit. So, so it can't be that. You see, praying in the Spirit simply means that we're connecting with God through the Holy Spirit, and we're praying for things that the Spirit has revealed. Right? The, the Spirit inspired the Word of God. So we know that this is the truth of God. It's Spirit-inspired. And so we know that if our prayers are in line with the Spirit, it's going to be in accordance with the Word of God. So we could pray for things like the salvation of sinners, so the, the sanctification of the saints, the unity of the church. We could pray for orphans and widows. All these things because they're revealed that that is God's will in his word. And we know that as we're praying these things, that it's spirit-led. It's, it's spirit-inspired prayer. If you want to learn how to do this, if you want to learn how to pray in the spirit better, I encourage you to examine Paul's prayers in the Bible. If there's ever a man with needs, it was Paul. However, that's 
not what his spirit-inspired prayers record. You see, if we examine his prayers, he's mostly praying for spiritual things, and he's mostly praying for other people. Uh, a, a great illustration of praying what the Spirit has revealed is right here in the text. In the next couple of verses, Paul says this, verse 19, And I pray and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. It's interesting to me because Paul's in prison, but he's not praying that he would be released from prison. Now, there's other times that he prays for that. In, in Philippians, he prays that he would that they would, or he asked them to pray for him that he would be released from prison. In, in Romans 15, same thing. We see the example of, of Peter in Acts chapter 12. He's in prison. The saints are praying for him, and he gets delivered from prison. So you would think, well, well, you're, you're in prison. Why wouldn't you ask that, that God would allow you to get out of prison? Well, he doesn't pray to be released from prison, or he doesn't pray that God would heal his wounds or God would bring him supplies. No, he prays for boldness in declaring the mystery of the gospel. And I believe he's talking about before Caesar. You see, Paul, at other times, asked for prayer for salvation from his enemies. But this time he knew that the Lord Jesus had told him that he must go to Rome. He must testify before Caesar. The Lord had showed him all that he'd have to suffer for his sake. So, so he knew that that's what the will of God was. So that's what his prayer request became. You see, he was so in tune to the, uh, what, the spirit, what God's will was and what the Spirit was leading him to do that he knew, that, hey, God's will isn't for me to get out of here. God's will for me is to, to get before Caesar and to be able to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, to be able to tell Peter or, or tell Caesar how God is summing up all things in Christ, how God is taking Jew and Gentile, making them one in, in one new body and, and making us one with Christ Jesus. And so that became his prayer. So we learned a little bit about prayer and, and how God wants us to pray and, and how this prayer is going to help us in this spiritual warfare. And now we're going to see Paul's going to give us an example to follow for letter B. So fill an example to follow. And we'll see that in verses 19 and 20. For number one, uh, if we believe in the power of prayer, we will ask for prayer. So fill in ask. Verse 19, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known, make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. We see in chapter 1 and chapter 3, Paul is praying for the church. He's uh, displaying that he believes in prayer. But here he takes it a step further because he asks the church to pray for him. Right? This is interesting to me. You know, Paul was the smartest guy in every room he went to. He was the most bold preacher that the church has ever seen. Yet he doesn't trust in his own intellect, his own charisma, or his own boldness. He trusts in the power of the Spirit to activate these things, and it's evidenced in the fact that he asks for prayer. He knows that, hey, I need to, I, 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 I may be smart, but my, 
my, my smarts ain't good enough, right? I, I need the wisdom from above. And that's going to come through the Spirit. And so he was asking people to pray for that. I also think it's interesting that Paul's probably the, the greatest Christian who's ever lived. And he's asking people who aren't very mature in their faith to pray for him. If you're in Christ and you're walking with him, it doesn't matter if you're the most seasoned saint or a baby believer, the Lord hears your prayers. You have just as much access to the Lord as anybody. Anybody that's in Christ and walking with Christ can come boldly into that throne of grace and receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And, and if you think about it, what an encouragement this must have been for new Christians to hear that the great apostle Paul is asking them for prayer. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's like Pastor Bob giving an altar call and then going to the guy who just got saved and saying, hey, I, I have this big problem. Can, can you pray for me? <laughs> I mean, that, that seems pretty crazy. But that must be, be pretty encouraging for that guy, right? When I need prayer, I often go to a, a little child that I know is a Christian and ask them to pray for me. I do, because I know that they're going to pray by faith, right? That they're going to believe what they're actually praying for. Number two, pray for Joe and Bob. Phil and Joe and Bob. Look at verse 19. He says, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me and the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. I think an appropriate application here is that we especially pray for those who are ministering the word of God. And through prayer, you could join part with our missionaries, with the pastors, with people who are doing ministry all over the world. Second Thessalonians 3.1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. So be praying for those that share the Bible. You know, the, the Bible says this. The Bible says that you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Satan knows that. Satan knows the way that he's going to be able to cause the most damage in the church, that he's going to be able to shipwreck the most people's faith, the, the way that he's going to, you know, allow the Gentiles to blaspheme the name of God is by causing the ministers of God, those that represent God and speak God's word, to stumble. If he could cause them to get into temptation and get in, you know, have an affair or, you know, uh, whatever it is, that is going to wreak so much damage. So we need to be praying for the ministers, be praying that God would protect them, that God would uh, strengthen and, and just bless their marriages, that God would keep them healthy and, and all of that because you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. We need healthy shepherds in our churches if we're going to have healthy sheep. Number three, through prayer, realize the Lord's providence. Fill in the word providence. Verse 20 says, For which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. It's interesting here, Paul calls himself an ambassador in chains. An ambassador in chains. That's a bit ironic, right? Because ambassadors usually have some amount of clout. I mean, today they have diplomatic immunity. 
right? They, they, they can't get arrested. But Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm an ambassador in chains. You know, in those days, an ambassador would usually put on ornate jewelry and gold chains and that when they would go to speak before a ruler. But Paul was a minister of the cross, and he saw himself in Rome for that purpose. But his chains weren't gold chains. They were shackles. Those shackles were his evidence that God had called him to Rome to speak to Nero, the mystery of the gospel. You know, if you think about it, it would have been pretty easy for Paul to say, wow, I had this great ministry. I was being used by God. I just love serving the Lord. But, you know, now I'm, I'm in jail. I'm in house arrest. I can't do that anymore. I guess I got to just wait. And you know what? If God gets me out of here, I'll start serving him again. Right? That, that would have been pretty easy for him to say. It would have been pretty easy for him to think. But that's not what he did. Instead, he saw his imprisonment through the lens of God's providence. God had him where he was for such a time as this. You see, maybe you're thinking, man, I just wish I was living in a different state. Or maybe I wish I had a different job. Or maybe if I was just married. Now, it's okay to pray for those things unless God tells you not to. But what's really important is realizing that God has you where you are right now for a specific purpose. Don't waste that opportunity. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, God is waiting for you to be faithful and to accomplish what he has you where you are for before he opens the door for what you really want. Paul would get released. And he's going to have to speak to Nero first. Turning this back to the context of spiritual warfare, do you guys see how trusting God's providence is going to protect you from fear? from anxiety, from covetousness, and from many other sins. Realizing God's in charge, that the reason I'm at where I'm at, and I have what I have, and I'm going through what I'm going through, is because God has put me here, and he's put me here for a purpose, and that's to glorify him. I mean, wow, that's going to do numbers for us in the way that we think about what we're going through. Number four, pray for your own witness. Full in the word witness. Verse 20 again, uh, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul calls himself an ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody that is sent by a sovereign uh, to a different place to represent that sovereign and to speak for that sovereign, usually to another ruler. Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. In a sense that Jesus was the ultimate ambassador. He came from God, from heaven to earth, representing God, speaking for God to us. Well, Paul saw himself in that same light. And I think Paul wants us to see ourselves in that same light. You say that was true for Paul, but how's that true for us? Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. He didn't say, therefore, I am an ambassador for Christ. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And what does Paul say he wants here? He says he wants to, to speak boldly. That word boldly literally means freely. 
Paul isn't asking for his freedom from jail. No, he was asking for a freedom of his mouth to be able to speak the truth. He, he, he didn't want a, a, a freedom of proximity from house arrest. No, he wanted a freedom of speech to share the gospel. We have a freedom of speech. One day we're going to stand before Jesus and have to answer for what we did with that gift that he's given us of freedom of speech. Did we take advantage of it? Were we willing to be an ambassador for him? I mean, we don't have to worry about getting our head chopped off or thrown in prison. We just have to worry about being made fun of and kicked off social media. That's not that bad. But are we going to be faithful with it? Last verse, 1 Corinthians 9.16. Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In our text, he says that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. It's my job to speak the gospel. That's what I do. I look for every opportunity to speak the gospel. Are we going to live that way? In, first, uh, in Colossians 4, Paul, uh, written from the same jail cell, chained probably the same soldier, he says this. He says, pray for me that I have an open door to share the gospel. I, I find that interesting. Right? I mean, he's chained to the guy 24 hours a day. The guy can't go anywhere. Hey, give me an open door to share the gospel with this guy that I'm chained to constantly. Do we get up? Hey, God. Give me an open door to share the gospel at work. Give me an open door to share the gospel with my mom or dad or sister or whoever it is. Is that the way we're approaching every day? Are we ambassadors every day looking for every opportunity to speak the truth from our sovereign to those that need to hear the truth from our sovereign? So if we do this, if we pray the way that God's calling us to pray, if we see ourselves in the way that Paul displays himself here, if we follow his example, we're going to be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy. He ain't going to be able to gain one ground on us. He ain't going to be able to push us back one inch because we're going to have the armor of Christ. And again, that's a, a tested and true armor, right? Because Jesus was tempted and tested in every way we are, yet without sin. Remember David, right? He went to fight the Philistine, the giant. And the, and the giant says, you, you know, you're coming at me with, with stones? Right? That's all David had. was little five stones and a slingshot. And David says, no, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord of hosts. And that's what we get. We get to come in the name of the Lord, in the armor of God. And there's nothing that can stand against that. So God, uh, I thank you that you have given us that armor. Lord, help us to put it on. Help us to pray better. Help us to pray more. Help us to pray the way that Paul taught us to pray tonight, Lord. I pray that as we do that, uh, that you'll give us victory over the temptations, over the way that the enemy is attacking us, Lord, and we'll be able to become better ambassadors. We'll better be able to represent you. And we'll be better able to help other people come out of the bondage that they are in. Lord, thank you for this group. I pray that you would just bless us this week. I pray that you'd open doors for us to share the gospel. I pray that you would strengthen those that aren't here and bring them back to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.